So James, great interview we had today with Mike. And I, I love the fact that uh, we set up this interview right after Bob sort of turned over the reins of Get Beyond. Because- yeah, I mean, he's only at the time of the, the recording it here, seven weeks. Seven weeks. And it's like, those are, you know, those are big shoes to fill. They're huge shoes to fill and and beyond is a really significant organization. So I thought it was very interesting along the lines too, of the conversation around integrated payments, which I then Mm -hmm. continued in the questions from the field, um, really just talking about, you know, as an ISO or an agent, I mean, like things are changing, especially with the ISOs. If you don't understand what's happening beneath the, the, you know, kind of behind the scenes a little bit, you know, there's this ripple that's happening kind of below the surface Mm -hmm. where agents are going to start to move to these technology companies. And so we talked about that a little bit and I really enjoyed uh, Mike's approach with their organization. And so I think there's a lot to learn there. And then tell us about, we had a very unusual and interesting insiders. uh, Yeah, it was an interesting insiders report about the metaverse. James and I discussed this again, the generational difference here, but you know, what does the the metaverse mean and what is it going to mean? Yeah. And Um, and even as it relates to payments, you know, and 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 it definitely has a, you know, there's definitely a through line to payment processing. So definitely uh, listen to that. And our episode today is brought to you by NMI. Um, You can visit them at NMI.com. Awesome. So James, what do you say? We get going? Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Mike Peters, who is the CEO at Get Beyond. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing very well, James. Patty, thank you very much. Great to have you. Yeah, great to have you. So uh, I'm sure everybody in the industry at this point knows that uh, Bob Carr, industry legend, uh, has relinquished the CEO role here uh, to Mike Peters. And so, Mike, I thought we could just start out with just kind of your backstory a little bit. Tell us how you get into the industry and talk about maybe this transition of, you know, trying to fill the shoes of this, you know, Bob Carr, who's kind of this iconic person in the industry. Sure. Well, listen, you know, I, I have a storied past in the financial community, James and Patty. I, um, I've been at it for 38 plus years, um, jumped into the merchant services side of the business in 2001, a couple of months after 9-11, and uh, uh, really began a second career in the financial community running a sales organization in New Jersey. And my focus was um, to learn the business. I knew nothing about merchant services fellow that hired me, um, gave me some great advice. He says, go out and spend six months in the field, understanding the business with the salespeople, which I did. Yeah. And then came back and not soon thereafter, the uh, the executives at Chase Merchant Services at the time, which was tied to First Data, said, we'd like you to run the sales organization. And I had a pretty significant background in running a sales organization in another financial sector. So that started there and it gradually morphed into uh, Chase becoming Chase Payment Tech. My focus then was to build a larger sales organization. Uh, but the real turning point for me, um, folks, was uh, in 2009. I had been running a sales organization from 01 to 2009 in, in a direct channel. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell you that it's easy. It has its own, own set of dynamics. But going into the ISO independent sales contractor world at Transverse in 09 was transformable for me. Um, I learned more on on the business in that side of the segment for the next nine years as I worked for Transverse and subsequently uh, was sold to Tesis about how entrepreneurs in this business made money, ISOs, ISVs, VARs. And I learned so much from that executive management team um, that uh, I'll tell you that I have probably one of the more rounded careers on the direct side and the indirect side of, of the industry. Uh, and then ultimately, the, the, the executives of Transverse left 
during the transition of thesis. They asked me to step in to run the thesis merchant segment um, for about 18 months while we went through the, the transition with Global. And I knew that Global was obviously going to pick their own management team. Sure. So uh, that left me at a crossroads. Do I retire um, or do I you know, continue on? And uh, I had a two-year non-compete, so I set out. I honored my obligations with the organization. I uh, did a little bit of consulting, drove my wife and family crazy for two years. <laughs> my my lawn and my yard looked like Augusta National, but at the end of the day, um, along the way, <laughs> along the way, I, I had had some initial conversations with Bob Carr about what I'd like to do. Bob and I had met a few years back as a customer, and I said, I want to, you know, I got a taste for running something. I want to run something again. And um, here I am, you know, the transition with uh, coming in, taking over for an entrepreneur um, is, is always a challenge. Bob has never had anybody where he's literally turned the company over right. uh, his Heartland days and his uh, and his days, the five years that he's, he's run the organization here. So this is a big decision for Bob. It's turning over. You know, I hate to use the cliche, but it's turning over his second child. Heartland was sold. Now he's turning over the second child to somebody that's going to run the organization. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some challenges that come along with that. You know, Bob is used to doing things Bob's way. And now we have a guy that's come mainly from a corporate environment and said, listen, Bob, these are some of the things that we need to do to take yeah. to the company to the next level. He has done a phenomenal job of turning over the reins and relinquishing seven weeks. Uh, every once in a while, I get a drive by, but uh, I, I choose to include him in these things versus being sort of autocratic and just saying, this is what we're going right. to do. Right. Um, right. You know, it, it, it helps me uh, guide the business. And I like the backstory from him on what's going on. So that's pretty yeah. much it. High level. Love it. Cool. So, Mike, um, as you think about the payments landscape, uh, you know, new arrivals to our industry that have these centralized sales teams, they're dealing with merchants remotely. Why do you believe that feed on the street is still, you know, has a future? You know, there's so many fintech companies out there now that have their inside sales team. They have inbound leads, you know what I mean? But it, you know, beyond continues to invest in this model of feed on the street, which I obviously am really passionate about. Talk about your view of kind of where this model goes and the future of it. Yeah, listen, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I have grown up in 25 years now of being in 23 years and being in the, the merchant segment. And I've always had, a feed on the street model, whether it be a full-fledged uh, W-2 salary commission structure, uh, a 1099 structure, an ISO structure who also has salespeople working for them. There's always been some level of touch point for the SMB and the middle market uh, um, world to face off with, and I, and I call them the trusted advisors. Many years ago, the bank model worked very, very well. A lot yeah. of the JV, the first data worked well. They an entrepreneur or a merchant went into the bank and said, I, I'm opening up my doors tomorrow. I need a new DDA account. I need a savings account. I need a checking account. And um, oh, who's handling your credit card processing? They became the trusted advisor. Yeah. Well, turn the clock ahead 20 years. You know, there was a bank branch in every corner. That's not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, so now there is the opportunity for the in-country, as I call them, or in-presence sales representative to continue to be that trusted advisor within the SMB and middle market space. There is a tremendous influx, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but there's a tremendous influx of technology coming into the payment space. But the merchants still look to 
the individual sales representatives when there is an issue. I can't batch out. Something's happened. My right. terminal doesn't work. Guess who they call? They don't call necessarily the software company and say, hey, by the way, my I can't batch out. They're calling the sales rep that sold them the entire program. Yep. So I see that as a continued impact. My lifetime, I don't see the ISO or independent sales representative or the paid W-2 sales representative going away anytime soon. It will shrink, though. I do, I do think it will shrink. Yeah, yeah. So what about at a high level? You know, how is the process of selling payment processing going to change, say, over the next two to five years? And what do you feel, you know, how do you feel your model of the independent agent uh, that lives in the market they serve, positioned to handle these changes? Yeah. So, Patty, I'll tell you this. The payment technology is changing every day. I I have, um, I remember many years ago when I was a kid, I worked in uh, two guys department stores here in the Northeast Mm -hmm. and I was a clerk and literally they went through a book. If you, some of us will remember, James, you're not going to remember this, but they literally went through a book and they said, this credit card's no good. Right. Right. And every week I was the guy that went around and distributed these books that were this thick to every register. And if you were on there, the clerk was instructed, if you remember this, Patty, to cut mm-hmm. your card in half. Yep, I because remember. Because it was a fraudulent card. And then there was the knuckle busters. Then there was the automated machines. And now I have a 37-year-old son and a 32-year-old daughter that pay everything on their watch. I'm still <laughs> I, 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 I'm still trying to figure out how to tell time on my watch, but they're paying <laughs> things on, on their watch. So the reality is that it's changing immeasurably. Um, companies like MindBody, Vagaro, um, that, are, that are in this space of uh, salon software, have embedded payments into their software. You hit a button and off to the races they go. Those types of programs will continue to evolve in, in all the vertical markets, but there will still be the need for the sales representative who's selling that or to service it, focus or upsell them on opportunity. Um, and then the, the, we talk about retention. The, the individual high-level sales representative that gets educated on the technology side of the business will serve the community well, and there'll be retention. There'll be a higher retention model for the organization. I'm really glad you brought that up as far as the, the verticalization. So it kind of goes well with my next question for you. So uh, I wanted to talk about integrated payments. Obviously, as you mentioned, it has, it's having a huge impact. One of the things that's really been kind of heavy on my mind lately is this idea of verticalization versus generalization. You know, and a lot mm-hmm. of times the kind of quote unquote trusted advisor, mm-hmm. one of the weaknesses of that model, you know, is that, you know, in, in many cases we're saying, hey, you're our trusted advisor for this whole area, which includes all these different types of businesses. And they're now competing, you know, more and more with these very specialized, um, you know, ISVs and et cetera, you know. So I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on how do you see, and maybe even the way you envision shifting your sales force at, at beyond, but like, how is this going to play out? Are, are, are the agents going to become more focused on particular verticals or is just the corporate organization getting more focused? Like, how are you going to deal with this threat of these highly verticalized solutions that are integrating payments? Uh, I think, I think there's a threefold prong. It's a strategy that I'm employing here. One is the sales organization has to be very well versed in the customer's needs. If they're walking in the door and they know they have a, uh, a technology-based software POS system, um, they, they need to understand that process and understand how they, they, they're they going to go to market with those things. So 
I, I have directed the organization to stay in our lanes. I mean, we, we're, we're a fairly heavy clover shop. We're also a TISA shop, but, but we can't be everything to everybody. I cannot attach my sales force to 50 different verticals, 50 right. different software. So my advice to the sales representatives that come aboard in any company, whether it be beyond or anywhere in the independent world, is pick a lane uh, or two, be an expert in that lane, and go focus on it. It doesn't mean that you have to specifically be in your community all the time to sell to that service. But pick a lane, focus on what, what is is good for you from a sales perspective and a vertical for you that you feel that you'll you'll embrace and focus your attention on that. But to answer your question about how does Mike Peters that lives in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, service the 545 merchants that are in this this metropolitan area, this this um, MSA, um, I can't be an expert to everybody. But what I can do is I can drive value and retention and and help the merchant understand that we're bringing services to the to the merchant that are tied back to their bar and and through a transparency of selling the right services to people so it's a long answer to you're not going to be an expert and nobody's going to be an expert on everything but you need to pick some lanes yeah and i think i think you know it'll be super interesting to see how it plays out even even when in the way that we kind of uh, historically have thought about territories and and things like that. You know what I mean? Where it's almost like, you know, now you might end up having three people that share a really big territory at some point in the future, because it's like they each have their one or two lanes that they're in versus saying you're, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that's on your mind, but that's kind of, as I'm doing consulting. I'm thinking about that a lot, you know? Absolutely. There's, there's a fella, um, doesn't, I don't need to mention his name, but there's a fella in Florida that uh, it was an ISO bars in, um, uh, at Transverse and subsequent thesis. And I got to be very, very friendly with Ron over the course of the years, but he focused on two areas, the self-storage business and the veterinary business. Every mm-hmm. self-storage conference, every veterinary conference, this was the guy that went to the conferences, his bow tie, put candy on his table. He was yeah. the expert in those businesses. He didn't have to just be in Orlando, Florida. And he built a phenomenal business and it, he, he, was, he was a brand within those industries. Right. I suggest that people that are focusing their attentions on wanting to have a career in the merchant services business, which is still a wide open and there's a lot of greenfield here. uh, I think that that's the angle. Um, If you try to shotgun um, and sell on on the basic commodity principles, it's going to be a very heavy lift for you to enter into it. I've heard over the years, James, that the the ISVs and the VARs are going to disintermediate the salespeople and disintermediate the 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 independent sales reps well the, the smart ones are t- attaching themselves absolutely to those vars because they don't have sales channels exactly right? and why you know it's it's such a great distribution model and you know anyway we could go on with that for a while but yeah. I, I actually have a follow-up i wanted to ask you so one of the interesting follow-ups to this is 1099 versus w2 and one of the things you know if you would have asked me kind of 10 years ago i was very very heavily like oh 1099 is there's a lot of advantages but the problem now is because of this verticalization, the need for like agent training and accountability and technology that's being provided and organizational stability around like how we're going to attack competitors. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts around 1099 versus W2. I know beyond obviously is the W2 model. What are your thoughts on that? Right. So, you know, we offer a 1099 model um, with the the security of a W2 support, insurance, 401k. It's a full commission model. People that jump into the space should not be faint of heart. You have to understand 
that you've got to work every day. Um, I still carry around a card in my wallet from 2001 that one of the trainers at Chase gave me that said, today I did. And it was a list of things that I should do. Now, that list is dated, but with the advent of internet and, and right. SEO and things like that, you can change that. But the, the 1099 model, the W-2 model, we employ a combination and it works well for us. We provide training modules and listen, we, we don't. Um, and I come from the first data world where we had sales academy and we put people through a week of training. Right. We don't have the luxury of flying people into facilities and at, at a great expense to do that anymore. So every day we have training modules, but you have to be a self-motivator. You have to have the desire to get up every morning and create an environment for yourselves or your family that is um, is incumbent on growth and the ability to, um, to have some freedom around your schedule. We have some salespeople in this organization that have done very, very well for themselves. Yeah. And they're on autopilot at this point. They go out and sell their two or three or four deals a month and they, they, they're making a, a healthy living. The people that come into the business or are not from the business, you're going to have to work hard in your first year to establish some level of cadence to grow your business. If you think you're going to come in and there's going to be an easy way to do this and you're going to strike a chord, unless you've got you know some lead generation system or something, <clears throat> I would tell you, go find another career because the first year you're going to have to work hard. There's no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So. All right. So again, I think we could go on talking about all this stuff for a long time, but I want to shift gears a little bit because um, I'm really fascinated by your career path. And, you know, frankly, maybe these next couple of questions are a little self-serving um, just because I like to learn from people on our podcast that have gone a little further down the road than I have. Um, you know, when you think about leading an organization the size of beyond, obviously, you know, you've, you've walked into this, you're seven weeks in, um, you have this impressive career behind you and now you're moving forward what are the keys to success uh, for someone that's maybe listening that's more the executive type like myself? I've got these four businesses I run and I'm looking to grow and acquire and things like that. You know, what are these keys to success of, you know, walking into an existing organization and really making things happen, you know, keeping, keeping that base, but also growing and and evolving. Here's what I'll tell you. Um, I, I'm a sales guy at heart. I I grew up in the sales environment, two different, um, two different financial industries, about 18 years in the, the collections and, and industry, and then came into the merchant business in 01. Um, while I didn't necessarily carry a bag, I started out as management in, in the merchant business. I have carried a bag for a good chunk of my career and understand what it takes. So um, from my perspective, it's communication, transparency on the changes that, that I'm going to be making in the organization. I'm a sales guy at heart. So, um, you know, I've had people actually, it's funny, uh, my, my friends and, and leaders at transfers would tell me I'm probably the most math challenged guy they've ever seen. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to build a spreadsheet. Um, I can read it. Um, they've educated me well. I give uh, credit to uh, a, a number of people, um, you know, that have helped me along the way from transfers to, you know, to, to the thesis folks. But at heart, I'm a salesperson. And I understand the pain that they go through. So I lean a little bit to the right and, and am sympathetic to what sales folks do. Um, and you got to be transparent. You have to be able to provide them with your vision and what your expectations are. Uh, a manager many years ago told me when I first got into this business, inspect 
what you expect. And yeah. I know how to read a pipeline probably better than most. Yeah. Probably much better than I can a, a 10K or, or a financial statement. So the salespeople are going to be less apt to blow smoke in my direction that they're, they're not getting, um, they're yeah. not getting uh, a fair shake or they're not getting the leads. It, it all comes down to working hard, but you know, I'm a team, I'm a team player. I'm, 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 I've built a reputation of doing the right thing all the time when no one's looking. And that includes the salespeople. You know, there's always sales yeah. conflict and sales challenges. And I try to get all the facts and, and make a transparent decision. So I'm, I'm really only here to enhance what the organization has started to do and take it to the next level. Bob and team have built a phenomenal foundation, put the frame up and, and the sheathing on the house. My job now is to put the windows in and the roof and everything else so that nobody freezes during the winter um, and, <laughs> and get us to the next, uh, get it to the next level. Yeah. I like that. I like that's that. That's a great so, way to put it. Yeah, that's good. Um, so follow up to that, you know, one thing I've, I've been learning over the last few years as our organization grows and we're hiring a lot more people is that it seems like the larger your organization gets, the more important and the more challenging it is to kind of identify the key strategic objectives and wow. like, what are the right things? Cause otherwise everybody's just doing their own thing. So how do you go about in an organization the size of beyond, you know, you come into this, how do you go about saying, okay, here's what we're going to focus on. Here are the key objectives. How do you determine those? Well, so that's a great question. I'm living it right now. Um, So I spent the first four weeks figuring out what the light switches are. And the last three weeks, picking lanes. Remember I said I'm picking lanes. Um, In an entrepreneurial environment, you know, Bob, uh, Bob built Heartland over the course of many, many years. And um, then decided to step in and, and build beyond. And the company and he, um, had visions of building beyond and a very similar model to Heartland. And it took them 25, 30 years to do that over at at, um, at Heartland. Tried to do it five here. So we're throwing a lot against the wall, some acquisitions, um, uh, some expenses, some people coming and saying, we need this, we need that. And you know, salespeople, they'll constantly tell you, you know, if we, if we have this, I'll sell 100 deals a year. Right. And then... Two days later, well, if we had this, I could sell 120 deals. So <laughs> you, you, you can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. So um, I will tell you that uh, I have picked lanes. We are going to focus our attention on um, the core basics and and drive new sales in that direction. We're uh, we have um, we have spread ourselves thin in products and services that probably are bringing us the maximum value and remember what i said uh five minutes ago i got a salesperson that's trying to figure out how to sell three different products right um or three different pos systems and we're not very good at any of them so i'm going to hopefully pick the strategic ones that make sense and we're in the process of doing that and we're going to stay in that lane until we get very good at it we build a world-class sales organization around those services and payments those services and payroll and then I'll take on the world and say, you know what? Maybe we do go acquire a a uh, restaurant POS system, or maybe we do uh, embed ourselves with an ISV or partner with an ISV that makes some sense. But right now, um, I'm getting back to basics and trying to drive a message that we need to sell um, what we have, for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. You know, what, what do you see as the, the keys to executing your strategy? 
you know, so um, that, you know, when you look back in a year or two, you can see that you actually, you know, made the progress that you set out to make. Yeah. I, it, listen, it's all about culture and accountability. I have given um, the executive team, you know, I had a strategic meeting a couple of weeks ago and brought in, you know, all my directs uh, that were Bob's and said, these are, these are the things that I'd like to get accomplished in the organization. I'd like you to come back and tell me what you'd like to get accomplished. And we're going to meet in, in another week. And so they came back with their visions. And it's funny. I, I, I tell a story that, um, you know, a couple of years back when I, when I was with thesis, I had been handed a project list of like 180 projects that our IT and our product department was working on. And I said, how the hell are we going to get all of these done in, in a year's time? Right. So I challenged the group. I says, go back and, and I want you to um, you pick the, the four or five because we're going to be going through a transition here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're, we're probably going to be acquired or merged with global or somebody. And we're not going to be able to do all these things. And ironically, was I also provided a list of one or two items that I wanted done that I thought were important. Well, the executive team came back and, and honestly, here I am running the company. Mine wasn't on the list. So everybody has this vision that the project or the, the product or something is the most important to their world. Right. You got to get collaboration. You've got to. And yeah. so I, I only know how to do one thing. Does it drive revenue? Does it drive revenue to the bottom line of the organization? Because this industry can drive a lot of busy work and a lot of product busy work and vision and everything else. And we're not, we're a five-year-old company. There's a lot of companies that fail in the first five years. Right. So we're on, the, we're on the, the rise of that. And we're at the point now where if we're not careful and we try to be everything for everybody, we can continue down a path of confusion. Mm-hmm. So I'm focusing our attentions strictly on what drives revenue, what increases sales, my desire would be to go from our 250 some odd salespeople and um, and sales managers, organization of 500 some odd folks, is to wake up in a year or two's time and have a world-class sales organization that somebody says, you know what, they have this down path. There's the one thing in this industry that is lacking, and Jordan, you touched on it earlier, a lot of companies are consolidating and they're blowing up these sales organizations. I'm betting on the come that somebody's going to want a sales distribution channel like Beyond's at yep. some point in time that may not just be payments, but maybe another area. And I'm hoping to be that guy in the on-deck circle ready to, to step up to the plate. Yeah, I, I think in the new environment with integrated payments, I think the most powerful thing you can have right now is a well-organized distribution channel that can execute. You know, it's it's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, well, this yeah. has been super interesting. I uh, love everything you brought. I know there'll be listeners that want to learn more, especially individual agents that maybe want to learn more about Beyond. So where would you send them to learn more about the company and, uh, and uh, you know, opportunities to work together? Yeah, let's just uh, careers.getbeyond.com um, is where you can catch, um, you know, a number of podcasts and, and some information on us. We're constantly looking for sales uh, sales folks that are looking for a new career and a career path. And ultimately, you know, the organization is built around Bob's philanthropic views and his mm-hmm. give back program. And, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this organization and the focus are built on the promises and the values that we bring to the merchants, the promises and values we bring to our employees. But more importantly, I look at organizations across many industries and we have you know, specific days that the executive team passes out lunches and all those things. And they're all very important. But mm-hmm. the one thing that I will say about Bob and, and the organization here is it's an everyday thing. 
we have sent, I, 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 say credit, I take credit for this because I'm not here, but that long, but we as an organization have sent over 1,500 kids yep. to college that yep. otherwise could not have been able to go because yeah. of Bob's philanthropic program at the Give right. Back program. Yeah. And everybody in this organization, especially the legacy salespeople that have been here a while, they wake up every morning understanding that it's not just about them, but there is a give back portion of what we do every day to the yeah. community. So, and that's, I've never been part of any of that. It's always been corporate drive revenue, corporate right. discount. That right. So as I get older, maybe I'm getting closer to God. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I want to. I want to participate in something that that participates or gives back in, in a participation level. So th- that's it in a nutshell. But uh, we'd love to have hear from anybody that's interested in starting a new career here at Get Beyond. And love just it. just to clarify, as I understand, Mike, the uh, give back itself is sort of like the the major beneficiary, right? I mean, it's all the profits uh, are basically going to that program yeah i i uh i want to be very careful not all the profits but we are but a lot of it (laughs) yeah we are we are in fact um they are the major benefactor of of the revenues that drive this and bob has set it up in such a way that um for me it's good because i'm obviously taking over from so he's very very busy on that side of the fence and um and he's like the energizer bunny the guy's on a plane every week going someplace doing something for the give back program and uh my hat's off to him um he's got a storied past if anybody's read his book it's uh, a great it's, book i highly it, recommend it yeah very interesting to see a midwest kid that that grew up in a pretty tough environment and just said you know this is the way i can i can provide back to the community 365 days a year yeah. so yeah. that's it that's great Well, Mike, thank you so much again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. Uh, Definitely enjoyed the insights and uh, it's great catching up with you. All right, listen, thanks, Patty. Thanks, Jim, very much. Have a great, uh, great weekend. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. So, Patty, our podcast is sponsored, of course, by NMI, and we have a very exciting announcement to, you know, bring to our audience today. Of course, they've already would have seen it by the time this this airs. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, But... You know, NMI, of course, uh, now has, you know, purchased Iris, Iris. CRM. Mm-hmm. And what's important about that combination, and our, we talked about a lot at, at length in a recent episode with VJ, the the uh, CEO at NMI, mm-hmm. is that in, that uh, Iris has all these connections to the underwriting departments and all the big processing companies. Right, right. But then NMI has the kind of the connecting point to a lot of the technology companies. Mm-hmm. So now they've created this um, instant onboarding. It's a five-second process. Yeah. to, you know, get the merchant account sent over to the underwriting department and then to go ahead and create the NMI account mm-hmm. so that the, you know, the technology company, for instance, have this instant onboarding. Now, again, there's still going to be maybe some delays from the underwriting side of, you know, maybe they need an hour or 24 right, hours, whatever right. it is to get the account approved. But it's not going to take days or weeks like it does. Right. Often. All the information is sent through and and a lot of these larger companies really are working at making this instant in, 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 you know, in cases where it makes sense. But the main idea is that the NMI account now is going to be created automatically with the right um, uh, variables and the right Mm -hmm. uh, settings done for the particular technology deal that you're doing. Um, And so again, whether you're doing a card, not present deal, you just need the virtual terminal set up or you're doing an integration with a point of sale. There's very specific criteria. Now NMI and Iris have worked together to team up to make this happen. So if you are an ISO, um, 
you know, and again, you, you, my questions from the field, I talk about it today. Like you've got to be thinking about how to reduce this friction and make these uh, yes. seamless integrations. Um, this is a big step in that direction. I think it's very important and I'd really encourage people to check it out uh, and learn yeah. more about that. I'd say it's a game changer, really, James. Yeah. You know, when you when you think about how long that process takes, typically. Oh, my. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I think, and I think Iris has the right UI to make it really mm -hmm. easy for the agent, which is what I care about. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And by extension, the merchant. So head over to NMI.com. You could also go to IrisCRM.com. It's I-R-I-S-C-R-M.com. So NMI.com and iriscrm.com and go ahead and check that out if you look them up on linkedin facebook you'll see the announcement i actually mm -hmm. even just share the announcement on my linkedin if you look me up um right. and so check that out nmi.com and iriscrm.com fantastic technology something you really need to be paying attention to this is questions from the field brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology if you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, uh, today in questions from the field, I want to talk about verticalization. And I know I've talked about it so much over the last um, you know, month, but I, I want to talk about it one more time because I think the conversation that we just had with Mike, uh, I think that there's there's so many things there to unpack. Yes. That are that are are the ISOs and the agents both need to really understand. Um, first of all, at at its core, you know, I've spent so much time, Patty, trying to um convince ISOs to adopt payments and to embrace them, not just to say, hey, we offer really good technology. No, no, no. Like right. as an organizational initiative, as an execution to say, we're going to organize our company in such a way that we're resourcing the salespeople to go after particular verticals with solutions that are valuable to them and to mm -hmm. dramatically reduce friction when we're doing that. Right. And I got to be honest with you, Patty, I'm getting a little tired of trying to do it. I really am. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what's happening as I, like I just had a horse. It is. Um, yeah. You know, I had a super interesting conversation yesterday with a salesperson. I won't, I won't say the name or, or the company that we were referencing, but he recently started selling for a, a company. And this payment processing company said, uh, well, it's very simple. You just go to every business, you walk in off the street and, and you sell. And and again, I want to be clear, there's still some opportunity there. And there are some people in the industry that are fantastic. But I was talking to this agent and I said, you know, he told me, he said, you know, he said, I, I like that. And he said, I'm sending three, four deals a month to them because I do run across some verticals, you know, referrals and whatnot that right. are just, they need a, they need a credit card machine. But right. he said, where I'm putting most of my focus is, and he gave me the name of two different um, software companies that have mm -hmm. integrated payments. And mm -hmm. he is selling directly for them for the, yeah, for the right. You know, so the, the ISV, the technology company became the ISO. Mm -hmm. And now he's putting the majority of his deals. He's putting with these companies that focus on two different, really specific verticals. I could, you know, one of them was dentist was one. Um, and mm -hmm. the other one was uh, uh, the restaurants, fine dining restaurants. And um, he has these two very different verticals really, but they're, mm -hmm. they're pretty broad verticals and he's able to approach them in different ways. And you know, I think what we're going to see more and more is we're going to see this transition. And so what that should tell the agent here is that if you're still 
you know, just like Mike said, if you're still out there just going to scatter shot, that's a pretty heavy lift as he put it, or, you know, it's a, that's a tough numbers game. You know what I mean? And, right. and I wouldn't say don't do it. What I would say is, you know, continue doing that. And this is so important, Patty, you know, when you're going to make a transition, the key is you got to keep what you have. So I'm not telling anybody out there that's like, wow, you finally got yourself into a good position where you walk into 20 businesses a day. I'm not saying stop doing that and let's do something else. No, you need to start walking into 16 businesses a day, mm -hmm. right? And then spend some significant portion of your day, or maybe you can still walk into 20 and do this, but then spend another portion of your day saying, okay, what's one vertical I really want to go after? And then find that solution. That is so easy to sell to that vertical. That is so smooth and so slick and there's so little friction and all the features are there and get your demo unit, invest in yourself, invest in your business, get the demo right. unit, play with it, understand it, make sure you have a good um, agent agreement. One thing that terrifies me, Patty, about this transition we're going through right now mm -hmm. is how many agents I talk to that are like, oh yeah, I started selling for this technology company or that technology company, I'm getting residual. Well, did you look at the agreement? Do you understand that most of these technology companies want to sell in the next three, four, five years to a private equity firm that's going to wipe out your residuals because right. you sign an agreement that doesn't guarantee them right. Right. Or, they, or that allows them to buy it at a 12X? You know? So all we still have to do all this stuff. We still have to do all the normal things, but we got to start looking at these verticals and then you go, okay, how do I go after this vertical, right? Well, step one is education. And, and again, going back to the interview, Mike talked about the agent that, was going, it's funny you mentioned self-storage, which I'm really into. Right, but I know, that's your, one of your areas. I almost brought it up, I thought, no, I won't. But, uh, you know, going after, and, and it's like, oh, he's at all the conventions for self-storage and, and dentists. And so it's like, that's, you know, it's the education. It's going to the shows, getting the industry publications, learning about the industry, um, and then it's understanding your solutions. What can you offer, right? Then finally, and this is to me the most important one, actually, because the other two are obvious, but the most important differentiator is, what is your consistent prospecting habit going to be mm -hmm. that you can do day in and day out, right? If right. It's, you know, if it's restaurants, well, you can, yeah, if it's restaurants, you can walk in, right? There's, there's tons sure. of restaurants. So just within 30 miles but of self storage is you're not going to walk into a self storage place. <laughs> exactly. Self storage, you know, we do very different kinds of prospecting for that. Right. Um, right. And so you have to think through what is your, but you have to have a consistent, it can't be like, well, I'm going to hope people reach out to me. No, no, no. Like, mm -hmm. how are you going to reach out to them? What are you going to proactively do to go after that particular vertical? So I think for, for the ISOs, I would say time is running out for you. I, I think this is one of these changes that happens really slowly. And then it happens all at once. Mm -hmm. I really believe that these companies that have salespeople right now, that seriously, you, you know, here's a good litmus test. Have you ever provided your sales team with any training and or marketing materials for a specific vertical and given them all the resources to sign up one specific vertical and you've given them a seamless onboarding process that would be similar to a toast or some of these others that are competing right. with you? Right. Has that ever even been offered to your agent for any vertical? And if your mm -hmm. answer to that question is no, my advice to you is look out because salespeople are starting to go, they're starting to wake up and say, oh, wait a minute. I'm really good at selling small business owners. And the way I'm having to sell it now with the 17 page DocuSign agreement, that then I have to sign up the gateway, that then I have to sign up the software company, and then I have to figure out how to integrate it all together. And then they're all going to point fingers at each other when something goes wrong. They're going to start to go, wait a minute. I don't have to sell that anymore. There's other companies now that are letting me sell for them that have like a crazy, super smooth, 
right. feedback like experience, why would I sell for this other company? And so that's starting to, to get into the psyche a little bit. Sure. And, and, and what's, and then what's funny about this one, Patty, or scary, I guess I should say not really funny, but scary a little bit is again, this is a change that happens slowly and then all at once. And what I mean by that is right now, many, many agents I talk to, they're doing eight deals a month, 10 deals a month. Two of them are going to an integrated software provider. Huh. Right. But they're really enjoying those two. Right. Right. So, so they're going to say a year from now, six of them are going to be exactly. Going. Exactly. Yeah. And I think over the next 24 months, the idea of the merchant salesperson selling generalized to everybody, I think we're going to see that drop like by maybe 60% in production, you know, like, and so where is all that production going to go? Well, my mission in life is making merchant sales competitive. So, uh, you know, my message to the ISOs and everybody else is, you know, while I have great connections with many of you and I think you're great, at the end of the day, my job is to make sure that merchant salespeople, the merchant level salesperson, the feet on the street, the person on the phone, the individual, my mission in life is to make sure that five years from now, they still have a, 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 an income for their family. Right. So, you know, I will continue to do what I do, even if it makes enemies, I've made plenty before, is to say, if I think that, you know, an, an, I, an agent calls me and says, this is what my ISO is providing. I want to be, I mean, if they tell me what you're providing and it's not, there's no verticalization, there's no opportunity, I will absolutely tell them, stop selling for them or at least start to explore other options. They're going to be better for you because the idea, right. I, I had talked to an agent recently, Patty. I said, what's your, what's your mission or whatever? And they said, we go after restaurants. I'm like, oh, that's great. And, and I said, well, how do you, you know, what do you, they're, well, we're competing with toast. That's our biggest challenge. I said, okay, well, do you offer free uh, point of sale systems? No. Okay. Wow. How do you, how do you sign somebody up? Well, they, you know, we, we use the DocuSign agreement and then we have them integrated with this um, gateway that integrates with this point of sale system and we have to figure it out. And I'm like, well, how does support work? Well, everybody's always pointing their fingers at each other. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if you think I advise them to, if you think I advise them to continue doing that, you're crazy because right. I want, I, I, I am, I feel responsible to help them, to give them the advice, to help them to, to be able to support their family in five years and have a long-term residual. And if you're the company that's having your salespeople sell restaurants in that manner, you're going to get destroyed by toast. So, and as a result, the trickle down effect is your agents are going to get destroyed by toast. Right. So it's time for all of us as an industry, like wake up. I really enjoyed, we did the, recently we did the interview with VJ and talking about um, merchant onboarding. I was thinking about that, right? Yeah. Like we got to wake up, like, hello, like we're, we're competing with other companies and they're better than a lot of these ISOs at what they're doing. And I can tell you right now, my mission over the next 24 months is going to be to get as many salespeople as I can in a position to be successful five years from now. Right. And so I hope that a lot of these ISOs and these friends of mine in the industry, I hope that they're going to kind of wake up and say, hold on, like we need to do something differently here. If you want to mm -hmm. email me and talk about it, I'd be glad to have that conversation with you. I do that a lot, but mm -hmm. it's time to wake up. Like right. we got to go vertical. We got to get rid of, of the friction. And if you're yeah. not going to do that, not only are you going to lose merchants long-term, but short-term you're going to lose agents because they're right. going to start going to places that are going to provide what merchants actually want and need. So yeah, I agree. I agree. that's my Excellent thought on the Thanks, James. Thanks, buddy. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, 
call me old fashioned, but I don't quite get it. <laughs> I asked you and you did. You know, I just don't quite get the, the metaverse. Is it the future of the internet? It's a, is it a collection of really cool video games? Is it a place to shop? Is it, or is it something It's, it's all of those different? things, but we could talk about that more, but yeah. Right, right, you know? Sure. So it's been like, what, about nine or 10 months since Facebook rebranded as Meta yep. and stated that it would focus its attention on the upcoming metaverse. Yep. And, you know, since then, there's been a lot of marketing hype and money spent selling the idea. Um, but to my under, to, from my vantage, um, what they're pitching is more of a vision than a reality. True. Um, so I was struck by a new report from the consultancy Accenture okay. um, that points to significant interest in making purchases in the metaverse. Now, you know, we all know I'm the payments maven, right? So I'm just like <laughs> anything that has to do with payments, just like my radar goes. And, and so I was really interested and in, in, in found that nearly two thirds of consumers surveyed by Accenture reported already having purchased a virtual good or taken part in a virtual experience or service in the last year. And about 83% were interested in making purchases. Now, I'll, I'll admit, I asked some younger people I know, I'm like, so what are they doing? Buying outfits for their avatars? <laughs> you know? yeah. And whoops, that's part of what they're doing. Exactly you what know? they're doing. Yes. Yeah, it just blows my mind. You know, there's other surveys that suggest, uh, you know, they aren't taken with the, uh, with the channel. For example, among 2000 US and UK consumers recently servers, uh, surveyed, 85% um, said they had no uh, desire to interact with their favorite brands. Um, or community via the inter uh, via the, the metaverse. Sure. Uh, Coupon Follow had a survey of a thousand U.S. residents found most don't even know what shopping in the metaverse means. Um, but I think the probably the biggest reason um, that Americans haven't adopted more Americans haven't adopted this new form of online shopping is that people don't quite trust it. You know, yeah, um, new. they don't they don't really understand it yet. Yeah, and if you don't understand yeah. it, you don't trust it, right? You yeah. know. Yeah. So and they go ahead. Oh, no, I was just gonna say. I mean, it, I'm so, so I didn't know you were gonna talk about this today, obviously. And uh, yeah, I'm actually super passionate about this. I think it's. Uh, I, I'll tell you when the shift is gonna happen. So, so think about Facebook, right? Let's go back to Facebook, mm -hmm. right? To uh -huh. me, Facebook became mainstream when grandparents started using it. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. So now think about this for a minute. Extended family. They all want to get together for a family reunion. They really want to be able to interact with each other. Okay. Right. right. And so they say, Hey, you know what? Uh, we're all going to use our VR headsets and we're going to have a virtual family reunion where you can all get together. And when the technology is at a point where that is a meaningful experience, grandma and, and grandpa cumbersome, and not a cumbersome experience, not a cumbersome experience. Um, the, 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 the trade-offs are worth it. Grandma and grandpa are going to strap on their VR headset because they want to see uh, the grandkids. You know, and and I and I think there's something to be said for that. You know, for example, I I have a very very large family. Yeah. Um, you know, over 30 nieces and nephews. I mean, that's a really large family. And yeah. so what I do is every year at Thanksgiving and Christmas, I put together a Zoom call. So right. we all get on the Zoom call. Right. And I have to admit that gets a little cumbersome when you have 30 or 40 people. Yeah 
on a and, Zoom and, call. And, and imagine in, you know, in, in uh, 10 years from now, when that's, that kind of thing is going to be happening in a large virtual room where some people are going to be sitting on a couch watching a movie together virtually. Um, others are going to be over in another room talking to each other. And, you know, when you look at the way avatars have developed and things of that nature, and okay, as an example, you look at the, the you know, some of these animated movies now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. think of how realistic those are. So imagine when the avatar is that realistic of yourself and now you're walking around and you're literally seeing each other, you're interacting, you're able to high five and feel that high five uh, with something called haptics, which is a new technology. So the key to understanding this is that, you know, there's so many possibilities right now. It's a lot of fringe things. Like you mentioned, buying clothes for your avatar, right? But as we see things develop, it's going to become more of a need of, you know, I mean, like literally right now I'm trying to organize all, I have people that work remote. I have, I have other offices in other cities. Right. We got to all get together at the first of the year. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is, I'd like to do this more often. If I could do it virtually, I wouldn't. And we do Zooms every every three times a week, you know, as a group, but right. if we could, ha- ex- you know, make that experience much better. So, you know, what's interesting is Facebook is literally spending, I think last year they spent one point, I don't quote me on this, I think it was $1.6 billion last year that they spent. Yeah, something like that just on um, the uh, research and development side of things like haptics, you know, haptics are things where, you know, like, like uh, you ever have an iPhone and you go to put your finger on the um, uh, fingerprint thing uh-huh, uh-huh. and it does this little clicking feeling. And okay. Then if, I don't know, but yeah, I don't have an iPhone, but I'll, okay. I believe you. <laughs> well, I was amazed the first time that my phone went dead and I, and I went to click on that and it's not a button the reason that it feels like it's clicking is that the phone makes this movement that uh-huh. that feels uh-huh. like it, you just clicked something. Right. So anyway, they're going to be expanding all of that. And so um, I think it's going to be super interesting. I'm sure you have more to say, but I just wanted to jump in there. On well, that, yeah. So. And I, and I also thought, you know, when I started really go, you know, diving into this, one of the things that jumped out to me and, and, and I have great nieces and nephews that are, you know, young right. high school age. Right. right. Is that, you know, if you, you know, if you're trying to reach an audience of 15 to 30 year olds, um, it's probably not going to be via the Internet. You know, I mean, they're mostly on social media. They may be maybe even some of them are on the metaverse. Um, But what I was thinking, and this kind of goes along with what you were thinking, you know, I did a lot of research, read a lot of expert, you know, ideas on it. And it was sort of like this idea that the metaverse is actually a series of disconnected metaverses that are going to come together kind of like the way the Internet did 30 years ago. Mm. Um, You know, Mm. because like right now you have things like Nike land, right? I mean, that's one of the things where you hang out, you dress up your avatar and Nike products, you know. Um, You know, I couldn't believe it. I found that seven million consumers visited nike land last year that's that, you know that's a fair number of people and when i talk to my young niece and nephew who you know live yeah. on my property they were like oh yeah this is really cool we have had i do this all the time you know? yeah. Yeah. so i think it goes with what you're saying what i just wanted to say which i thought was really interesting is the top five brands that people said they would shop the metaverse for were Amazon, Samsung, Disney, Nike, and Apple, which is interesting because, you know, Disney, Amazon, Apple, Nike, they're all their own 
products of their own stores, really, right? Right, right. And well, and I think so much of that too, frankly, I think, I think I wouldn't put too much into the polls like that because in my mind, that's probably more just the brands that they know and that they are comfortable with, not probably necessarily, so, yeah. Yeah, not maybe the it, context of what would the value be in the metaverse of, right. they didn't, what would they even buy, you know? So I think there's, I think there's still a bit of, um, a bit of that, of just kind of like not, you know, people just don't have the context yet, you know, because again, you know, to, like you mentioned at the beginning, I mean, this doesn't really exist yet. Like right, right. I know the metaverse exists, but what I'm saying is the actual vision of what's going to, what it's going to be like, where all this value is going to be added and where payment processing is going to come in, where there's payments, right. blockchain payments and regular payments that are being transpired. Um, you know, that, that vision really hasn't been made a reality yet. And so there's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's maybe 10% of the way there. And, mm-hmm. you know, once it's 80% of the way there, which will probably take another five to 10 years, then we'll be able to kind of see the real, you know, what's that really was going to my, happen. And actually that was my question to you as, you know, sort of a, you know, a techie, a techie and a, and a young techie at that. Yeah. Um, what, you know, what, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how long it's going to be before this actually becomes a reality. My sure. gut says that, you know, my old, the old Patty would have said, oh, it's going to take 20 or 30 years. But that right. was before we went into this rapid technological yeah. innovation yeah. that we're all facing these days. So are you think, so I'm thinking now five to 10 years. Yeah, I still think we're, I still think at least five years, probably 10 years before. And again, I mean, we're talking, it is going to be 20 or 30 years before it's really what they're describing, right? Right, right. But, but where the where the majority of the value from this experience, I think we're looking at at least five and probably more like 10 years. Um, but I think importantly here, you know, this is literally a new universe, you know? So, right. so the idea is what are going to be the payment rails that are going to run this universe? Exactly. Yeah. And a big part of this play by Facebook is a payments play. You know, they, mm-hmm. they want to be the, the payment rails and we're going to see uh, companies like Facebook, but we're also going to see the blockchain taking a really, really predominant role in this new, yeah. literally this new universe. Um, and I think it's important because I think payment processing companies, um, they need to be aware of it. I wouldn't say there's a ton that you could do with it just yet, um, no. but they need to be aware of it because what's going to happen is as the value starts to to grow, you're going to see a lot more entrepreneurship. That's the, the biggest thing missing from the metaverse right now, in my opinion, is the entrepreneurship. So yeah, you have mm-hmm. Nike land, but there's not a lot of the young kind of startups that are figuring out because, because to do an entrepreneurial thing, it can't be um, it can't be philosophical. It has to be profitable. Right. And so right. to start a business, you have to be like, okay, I can, there's a need, I can fill the need and I can make money from doing that. In my opinion, so far with the metaverse, that doesn't really exist at, you know, yet no, at scale. No, it doesn't. Um, no. But as that, it will. And as it starts to exist, that's where we'll really see how it's going to go. And that's where the payment processors need to jump in and start to understand it a little bit better to say, wait a minute, you know, now these companies are going to the metaverse to do different things. What are they doing? What need are they mm-hmm. filling? And how can and we work can with them on the payment in? side? Yeah, yeah. So, but it's definitely, definitely worth looking at. Like I said, it was something that I yeah. thought was sort of like way out there, and the more I looked into it, the more real it, it appeared yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah, no, I like it. Good stuff, Patty. Thanks for sharing that. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.